Our scripture reading for tonight for the sermon is uh, from Romans chapter 5. As we continue to stand together in honor of the reading of God's word, Romans chapter 5, and I'll read verses 12 uh, through 19. A very well-known passage of scripture for us tonight to begin with. These are the words of God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together once more. Our our gracious God and Father, we thank you for this meal of the word that you prepared for us. We ask that you bless us and enable us uh, to digest these words. Uh, Take them in, Father, and and to bring forth the fruit of it. Let let it be as as fertilizer, as it were, to the roots of this tree which is planted uh, in your word. Uh, Strengthen us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I love... The Andy Griffith Show. Um, I, I'm very thankful that there's now, there's an app on our Roku called Pluto, and on Pluto there is an Andy Griffith channel, so you just turn to the Andy Griffith channel, and it's one episode after the other. Uh, but there's one particular, you know, there's scenes that sort of stick out to you in Andy Griffith, and one of the scenes is where <clears throat> there's a visiting minister who's coming in uh, to Mayberry, and he's preaching at the church. Dr. Breen is his name. And after the service, everybody, he's greeting everybody um, out on the lawn. And uh, Aunt B and Andy and, uh, and, uh, and Barney are gathered there. And Aunt B says, oh, Dr. Breen, your sermon had such a wonderful lesson for us. And Andy said, yes, sir, you really hit the nail on the head right there. And then Barney says, yes, sir, that's one subject you, can't ju- you just can't talk enough about, sin. Well, in this case, Barney slept through much of the sermon and the minister hadn't said anything at all about sin. 
And so it just gives you a little bit of a chuckle there because everybody looks at Barney. Um, but tonight we, we're talking about this important topic of, of sin. And, you know, when you think about that, it's like, oh, you know, here we go. Okay. Um, preacher's favorite passage to talk about. But it really, it really is essential, you know, um, it, it, you, because the, the, the better that you understand uh, sin and the nature of sin, the, the better you understand the nature of the gospel, okay? And so you take that uh, confession that we had this morning, you think, what are the sins prohibited in the first commandment? And it gives you this exhaustive list of all the things that could come out of the application of that first commandment. And you think, whoa, I, may, you know, maybe I, you never thought of it that way, or it's a little bit overwhelming. But then you stop and you think, then it puts into stark relief what Christ paid for with his sacrifice on the cross. It, you know, it's more than just, oh, I broke the first commandment. Oh, I broke the second commandment. But, but then you think, well, there are positives and negatives to both. There are prohibitions, things that each commandment tells you not to do, and things that each commandment tells you to do, and you've broken all of that. And then you begin to get some sense of the weight that was laid upon the shoulders of your Savior. But also as we talk about sin, it, it begins to help you understand the nature of you, yourself, the things that you struggle with, why you wrestle with particular sins, why your neighbors wrestle with particular sins, and, and how to understand the nature of sin in a community, for instance. Um, all of this comes into stark relief. We debate, is, is sin, uh, is bad behavior nature, or is it nurture? Where does it come from? Is it, uh, is it a biochemical mechanism, for instance? You know, you, we, read, we read in Psalm 42, and we read Psalm 43 tonight, and, and here's the psalmist, he's dealing with his own depression, and he's, he's, he says, why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? This is a condition of his soul. So as we talk about sin and, and its nature, it has very practical application for us, not just to incite or induce you to feel guilty, not to manipulate you to make a decision or that sort of thing, but to help you understand the nature of your Savior's sacrifice, the nature of, of all that you ought to be confessing to Him and giving Him thanks for, um, and also why things are the way that they are, quite frankly. To understand the nature of sin also, we have to understand the nature of God's covenant. You can't understand sin if you don't understand God's covenant. And so we're going to think about that tonight. But, but here's uh, our major premise in a nutshell. Adam's guilt is your guilt. And the consequences of Adam's sin are your consequences. I know you don't feel good about that, and that's okay. But that's the way it is. Okay, that's what we're going to work through tonight. Adam's guilt is your guilt. And the consequences for Adam's sin have a bearing on, on you as an individual and on our Society. So, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 6, paragraphs 3 and 4. Paragraph 3. They, being the root of all mankind, that is Adam, Adam and Eve, but principally Adam, being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed. And the same death and sin, 
and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation. Paragraph 4. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. So that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. We're going to break it down into a couple of ways. Just a couple of points. One, Adam's guilt is your guilt. And then we're going to look at that the, the fact that Adam's consequences are our consequences. And we'll see a couple things there. that there are, there are universal consequences and there are unique consequences. Okay. But let's begin by thinking about the fact that Adam's guilt is your guilt. Um, after God made Adam, He entered into a covenant with him. Now, when you think about that, you you realize that Adam already had a personal relationship with God. And he was bound to obey God simply because he was God's creature. He belonged to him. And so he he was bound uh, to obey God. But what God did was he, he obligated himself to Adam in a formal way. He he inaugurated a covenant with him that we often call the covenant of works. And you think about uh, a marriage ceremony. You've got a couple here uh, who have pledged themselves to, to one another, but they formalize that relationship by taking vows. And you remember, as you read through the book of Genesis, you'll find the Lord saying things like, I swore by myself. Okay, because there's nothing greater for me to promise by. I can't pledge you on the the gold of the temple um, or on the trees of the earth. There's nothing greater, so I I promise on myself, on my holy holy name. I pledge myself to you. So um, God pledged himself to Adam. He, He inaugurated this covenantal relationship. And he did that. As he's doing that, he's doing that with Adam as a federal head. We're using some technical language. We have a federal government. And what that means is when we elect a man to go to Washington, he goes representing us. And his job is to understand the will of his constituents. And when he casts a vote in Washington, he is to do that as our representative. So when he votes, it is as though you and I are voting. That's the way it's supposed to work. And that's what federal means. And so when we call Adam a federal or covenantal head, what we mean is this. He represented each and every one of us. He represented you. When he was acting under that covenant... He was acting as your representative and as the representative of all mankind. We didn't get a vote. But it wouldn't have mattered. None that we elected would have done any better. We find the conditions of this covenant in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what's happening there is God is giving Adam, there are two things. So you can think back to our sermon this morning. But there's, there's the promise of life. Adam, if you obey, you and all your posterity will inherit life. None of us would be complaining if Adam had obeyed. If you eat, if you sin against me, you will surely die. And this, this formalizes the covenant. And God set that tree in the garden as, as a temporary probationary test so that if Adam had abstained in the moment of his temptation, he would have secured life and righteousness for all of us for all eternity. It would have been immutable, unchangeable, and glory hallelujah. But that's not what happened. And so the covenantal aspect then is that God promised him life for obedience and death for disobedience. And Adam was acting there as our federal head, representing us in this covenant with the Lord. When Paul is uh, debating at the Areopagus with the Greeks there, he makes reference to this. Because he says in Acts 17, 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So the point that we take away from that is that all mankind descended from Adam. We descended from Adam. In Romans chapter 5 that we just read, Paul is explaining this covenantal relationship that Adam had to God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. This is why we called, or I called in the sermon title, Adam as the first toxic person, because there's quite a literal sense in which the toxicity of his behavior has infected all men, all mankind. All men who descend from him by ordinary generation. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22 as well. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, verse 49 of 1 Corinthians 15. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, I'll just make a side note here, but this is one of the important reasons that the theory of evolution has to be rejected. Because you see, this theory supposes that death preceded Adam's sin. Death was in the world. Animals were rising up. Apes were rising up. And death was going on and on and on before sin entered the world. So in other words, death is not a consequence of sin. And Adam was not the first man. This does not fit with the biblical picture. When Adam sinned, he represented you in the covenant of works, is what we call it, or the covenant of life. 
Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 16, states it this way. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. All mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So when you read Genesis chapter 3 and you see that moment where Adam takes that fruit and he eats of it, you are eating too. A couple of implications from this. One, this doctrine builds true equality among men. There's true equality among men. Um, in, at home, we've been reading through 1 Peter, and, and recently we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter reminds these dispersed believers, wherever they are, <clears throat> in the various cities that they are living in, he said, honor everyone. Honor everyone. And as you think about that, <clears throat> that principle, how, how do you apply that principle if, if, um, if this principle of sin and the imputation of Adam's guilt are not true? The reason that we can apply that so uh, across humanity regardless of where a man is in his life, the reason that you can apply that is because we all have the same Father. We, we all have had the same guilt imputed to us uh, by God. Adam represented all men in that covenant. Recently I was watching a, a documentary about a Guatemalan gang called the uh, Maras. A very violent gang uh, throughout the, the nation of Guatemala. Very violent. Um, where does that violence come from? Is it simply because they live in a different nation? Is it simply because they are exposed to different temptations? Is it simply because Satan's reign in that region is less checked than it is in other places? That is some of it. But all of that is only possible because those men descend from Adam just like you and I do. All men are created in the image of God and all men are fallen in Adam. But there's another implication of this that Paul gets to in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. You see, this is the gospel in reverse. You and I believe that when we believe on Christ that there's an exchange that takes place. In that moment, God imputes to you or credits to your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that from that moment, when God looks at you through Christ, all that He sees is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. All that stuff that we confessed this morning from the first commandment, all that is on Christ. And what you receive is all of His perfect righteousness. Now, this is why Paul can say in Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing, not even I myself, can separate myself from God's love. Why? Because my guilt is wiped out. And the righteousness of Christ imputed to my account. And all of the guilt 
that I received from Adam, and all that is imputed to the account of Christ. And in the moment that he died on the cross and suffered all the wrath of God, he suffered for every sin that you and I commit. This is the message of the gospel. It is Adam's sin in reverse. Secondly, Adam's consequences are are your consequences. Now, I'm going to divide this into two parts. One, there are universal consequences, and then there are unique consequences, okay? What are the universal consequences? Well, it's pretty simple. Death. The corruption of your nature. Um, There's a physical and a spiritual death, just as we talked about physical and spiritual life. Your relationship to goodness and your relationship to evil, these are universals, universal effects of the fall. So let's think about these universals for just a moment. What are these universal consequences? Well, there's the consequence of death. Turn over with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 5. through here uh, the, the generations of Adam from, from Adam to Noah. And I just want to point out to you a, a few verses here and there. Notice with me verse 5. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Verse 8. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14, thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17, thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And you get the picture, it goes on and on. Just as in Genesis chapter 1 we see, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Here in chapter 5, of and he died. What is this demonstrating to us? That death has come to all men. Physical death has come to all men. In the moment that Adam sinned, he died spiritually, inwardly. And we see the evidence of that. In Genesis 3, there's the moment where he's blaming his wife. Rather than taking ownership as the covenant head and saying, this is my fault. I should have protected my wife. Her sin is my fault. He blame shifts. He died Spiritually, and the principle of physical death was introduced to his body, and, and it came to all men. There was a corruption of nature. Now, Adam still existed in the image of God. He was still a moral, ethical being who was capable of having spiritual communion with God. But his nature was corrupted And so we read in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Job chapter 14, verse 4, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Job 15, 14, What is man that he can be pure? Or who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? And the answer is 
Not one. Now, one of the things that helps us to clear up in sort of a practical application is there is no such thing as an age of innocence. Now, there is in the sense that our children do grow in their wisdom and understanding to the point where they can discern right from wrong. But what the Scriptures teach us is there is not a point at which uh, a, a human being is not guilty of Adam's sin and an inheritor of his corruption. You have only to think about a, a young child and at mine. I can always remember them laying on the changing table and crying out, kicking the leg over, I don't want my diaper taken off, or the child crying out, I'm hungry, feed me now. These are all evidences of that self-centered nature that we have from Adam's corruption. Another effect of this that's universal is our relationship to goodness. I don't know if you noticed, but the Westminster Confession does not spare any language here. We are totally indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good. Indisposed. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And I think um, one of the things that we, we should think clearly about here is, is the confession is not saying that no man apart from Christ can do any sort of temporal good. Carnal men do temporally good things all the time. They never do anything pleasing to God. But there is a sense in which they do good things, but our inward nature is, generally speaking, indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all that is good. And and another practical application here is that it causes me to distrust those things that I know by nature. I'm not an instinctual individual. I know that I need the counsel of God's Word and also often of other godly people to help me make right, wise decisions. Why? Because I have this corruption of nature. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It is unable, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, Romans 7, 18. And this is Paul speaking of himself, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh by nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Colossians 1, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil Deeds. You see, the effects of the fall put us in a hostile relationship to all that is good. We are ethically corrupt. What about our relationship to evil? Well, you can imagine that we are wholly inclined to that. Romans 3, verse 10 to, 21, to 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. 
the universal consequences of the fall are that we are wholly indisposed to what is good and wholly inclined to do what, what is evil. In other words, no one, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, will ever please God or want to please God in any sort of sincere way. Now, one other thing I think to say about this is, is we're not saying that every man is as bad as he could possibly be. God, in His common grace, in His preservation and protection of believers especially, prevents the wicked from uh, diving down into and expressing all of the possibilities of their wickedness. God prevents it. Remember, you think of, of Abimelech, where God prevented Abimelech from carrying out his sin against Abraham. God's common grace preserves His people especially and keeps the wicked from fully expressing all of their wickedness. You think of uh, the binding of Satan. And now we are in a state in which Satan is unable to fully deceive the nations as he once did. But then there are unique consequences. Sinful behavior and conduct comes from the fallen nature. The question is often asked, are we, are we sinful because we're sinners or are we sinners because we're sinful? And the answer for this, based on these universal consequences, is we are sinners because we are sinful. In James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of, of wrath like the rest of mankind. And Jesus' reminder in Matthew fifteen nineteen, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now, the way to think about this is very simply that, that there are these universal consequences, this universal corruption of nature, but different men will express that differently. I don't know if you remember, this is not so much a debate now, but, but a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, we, there was this great question of, does, is, is homosexuality, is it genetic? You remember that? We talked about that. And a lot of Christians spoke up and said, well, no, absolutely not. You're not born homosexual. But if you think about the nature of sin, there is a sense in which this is true. It does flow out of this corrupt nature. Now, different men express that corruption differently. And some of that is due to the way that you were raised you will imitate the sins of your fathers. This is not a generational curse per se, but it is an aspect of, of what you've learned to do. Again, you bear the responsibility for it, but it comes from this corrupt, it comes from this corrupt nature, but you learn it. This is why Jesus would say, uh, woe to those through whom temptation comes. 
You are teaching, you are teaching children how to do bad things, how to sin against the Lord, how to express their sinful nature. All men are under the consequences of Adam's broken covenant. All men. The covenant of works cannot be restored. It simply cannot. In terms of the universals, you and I are no different than the most evil man that you can think of. What makes us distinct is the way this sinful nature expresses itself. And there are differences between men and women and the way that they express these sinful tendencies. Um, But your unique sins flow from your sinful nature. They're not... Yeah, so there's no, no person who can say, well, if I, if I hadn't had uh, th- these circumstances, I wouldn't have sinned. Well, you might not have sinned in that way, but you'd have sinned in a different way. Your circumstances are not purely to blame. Some sinful habits you learn from your parents, yet they still belong to your sinful nature. Adam's guilt is your guilt, and the consequences of Adam's sin are yours. And so this debate over whether evil behavior is the result of nature or nurture, the answer is yes. All sin comes from your sin nature. And if you didn't have that sin nature, you wouldn't be enticed to commit particular sins. You cannot blame your circumstances for your behavior. You sin because you're a sinner. But circumstances can encourage you to produce certain types of of sin. Think about this now. Certain circumstances can entice you to produce certain types of sin. Poor parenting examples can teach you to express sin in a certain way. Therefore, the battle with sin, listen, is always going to be twofold. It's always going to be twofold. Internally, you and I have to put sin to death. With the help of the Holy Spirit. We have to replace sinful desires with righteous desires. We have to learn how to hate those things that take us away from Christ. But we also have to take care to steer clear of those things that entice us to sin. Both are important. This will enable you to live in the victory of Christ, which He purchased for you on Calvary's cross. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for these eternal truths and the understanding that flows from them. As we seek to live faithfully in this world that you've created, Lord, and amongst these people that you've created, as we want to be faithful to honor all men, this helps us. It helps us to understand why things are the way that they are. We know that they're not as bad as they could possibly be, and this is an aspect of your grace to all men. Help us, Father, to put sin to death in our own hearts. We confess that we're guilty of Adam's sin, and we ask for your forgiveness for that. We also ask you, Lord, to help us with all of those sins that flow from our fallen nature. Sanctify us, O Father, fully, totally. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.